You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gents. Recording in Carnarvon on the mid-Western Australian coast, surrounded in semi-arid land. Incredible just how much of Australia is desert-like. All right, today I'm going to uh, dive into our core topic here, and that is uh, Georgia's economics. And we're going to look at eight unexpected outcomes of Georgia's economics. So to give you a, a refresher on what Georgia's economics is all about, it's based on the teachings of Henry George, who wrote the 1879 book Progress and Poverty, alongside a number of other classics that uh, used a type of language that was very objective, but really grasped at the root causes of problems. And this uh, form of economics focuses on the belief that all government revenues can be funded by monopolists in return for the legal privilege of their property rights. And when we raise revenues in this manner, it helps to enable people to look after themselves, to sort out problems at the source before they need welfare, before these become bigger societal issues. And currently we face this juxtaposition of having our income socialised via income taxes, but the community-generated uplift in land prices are privatised. It's all back to front. Why are we penalised for working, but rewarded for buying and selling the earth? Perhaps it's some sort of neo-colonial hangover. Ultimately, it plays into the pyramid game, this paradox of providing subtle subsidies to the owners of the earth. The heavy lifting for delivering this system for what some, such as Alana Hartsock, call an earth rights democracy is a land tax. The first federal tax office open in Australia was the Federal Land Tax Office. And for many of those who were escaping the aristocratic families of uh, the UK, their primary concern was to ensure we never fell into the same uh, class-based system of uh, the lucky few owning the prime locations in town and the rest having to work and work and pay tax that all ended up providing this subtle subsidy to landholders. So a land tax acts to channel the property bubble away from the banking system and towards giving us all an income tax cut. To run all three levels of government costs some $517 billion. And in the bumper bubble year of 2014-15, Australian land prices increased by, as I said last week, $570 billion, more than enough to cut all taxes. Whilst we recognise these sort of windfall gains will not occur each year, the need to tax other forms of monopoly in telecommunications, utilities, railways, right down to patent protection, ensures there will be more than enough for all. Rather than choosing a wealth-envy line of attack that Kevin Rudd failed so spectacularly with, in the mining super profits tax debacle, 
Georgia's prefer to focus on the legal privilege bestowed upon any monopolist by government decree. The protection the government provides such property rights holders deserves public recompense. And that was the big thing that uh, used to happen back in the days of feudalism was that the lords would have to pay for their own armies. They would have to pay for building roads to their own uh, fiefdoms. There was a lot of public work that uh, these lordships had to provide. And, and when a war was on, they had to have the support of their people such that they would go out and battle for them and be willing to die. Now, since that time, uh, this has totally been hacked away and now it's almost uh, blasphemous to think that those who own land actually should be paying something back to the community. And when we say that uh, uh, our incomes are socialised but this community-generated increase in land prices is privatised, the example... Uh, uh, we, we often give is talking about train stations and how the public pays for it. People, 200, 300 kilometres, all contribute via their income taxes. But those who happen to own the land near the train station that gets rezoning approval make millions and millions of dollars out of that. And that's just inequitable and is, is really uh, the root cause of the inequality paradigm we're s struggling through at present. So the government provides uh, a legal framework to protect these property rights, uh, but the public needs to be paid back for that via the taxation system. And this accepts that the returns on investments for monopolies are significant and reflect a return that's above the cost of production. And this cost of production generally uh, includes normal rates of return of around 5 to 6%. So within this, this element of Georgism is the classical economics delineation between earned and unearned incomes. And hopefully, listeners, after nine odd years on the air, you've, you've got this one loud and clear. But uh, those who own monopoly rights, who can charge prices above what it costs to bring that product to the market, are enjoying economic rents. It's another term for unearned incomes and these can be taxed without distorting the supply. Why? The property owner is still earning a reasonable rate of return minus the land tax paid. So with opportunity costs in mind, they will keep supplying that good at the new lower price. The mechanics of a land tax will step into as we go through these eight unexpected outcomes of Georgia's economics. So as we're talking about classical economics, it's important to remember that Adam Smith, the godfather of economics in his book, The Wealth of Nations, he only mentioned the invisible hand once. He only mentioned the free market once. But monopoly was stated 64 times. The importance of land, 87 times. Tax, 96. And rent, 102 times. Smith famously said, to afford the greatest revenue to the state, taxation always being employed as an instrument for revenue, never of monopoly. With all that in mind, let's look at these unexpected outcomes of a Georgist economic system. We live in a world of relentless change. 
huge migrations of people to new megacities, filling soaring skyscrapers and vast slums. Ravenous appetites for fuel and food, unpredictable climate change. And all this in a world where the population is still growing. Should we be worried? Should we be scared? So population, this is one that I get quite passionate about. You hear superstars like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio getting all up and down about the population growth rates. And that's the biggest problem we've got in society. That vibe uh, emanates through sci-fi, books, and movies, cartoons. Everyone's onto it as if this is the big problem. Well, remember Malthus. Thomas Malthus rushed out his essay on the principle of population in 1798. This was after a good 10 years of the French Revolution, just hundreds of kilometers away from England, and the aristocratic classes there were totally worried about how on earth they can divert this growing sentiment about uh, the wealthy and inequality. And so Malthus was uh, big on blaming the poor for population growth rates. That was the problem. This is the big issue of our time. And a colleague of ours, Heather Remoff, wrote, it's always more fun to focus on controlling the sex lives of somebody else than to admit the damaging effects of our own greed. A solution that requires those in affluent segments of society to do nothing we haven't already done is a guaranteed winner. We've reduced our birth rates. Therefore, the problem of poverty, income inequality, climate change, war, famine, and a host of other economic and ecological disasters can be solved if we can just convince those other people to stop having so many children. So under a Georgia's economic system, we would uh, lock down on all of the tax minimization strategies of the wealthy they would not be able to hide land in a tax haven. Most of their wealth comes from property speculation. So if we tax that away with a land tax, then uh, we're going to have more money for government. And uh, as, I, as I showed earlier with uh, Australia's land prices, thanks to the system of national accounts, Table 61, revealing that in the 2014-15 financial year, Australian land prices increased $570 billion. Last year, with a lot lower turnover, land prices only increased by $268 billion, but that's over half of the money we need to run government just there. So the money is there, and when we do have a decent tax system, we can fund our health and education properly. The sooner we revert back to a fairer system of university education, we have less need for private schools when public schooling is well-funded, overall literacy levels increase. Particularly important is the level of female literacy in developing nations and alongside effective education funding is the possibility of increasing the resources in the health sector as well. And so when that happens, the Ethiopian farmer respects the positives of good health and education and understands that with better birthing and neonatal outcomes, they no longer need to have nine kids as they know that two will be enough. They will survive. Alternatively, in developed countries, uh, we're going the opposite way. Uh, many nations, such as Japan, 
even Australia, our natural birth rates are, are not enough to maintain our current population rates. We need to rely on immigration to uh, to maintain our, our current numbers. Well, uh, if we have a, the cheaper cost of housing, this encourages earlier family formation. So the overall drop in the cost structure of the economy when uh, we have some 125 taxes here in Australia, when with just 10 of them raising 90% of all revenues, let's switch that around. So perhaps we have some 24, 25 taxes on monopoly rents, and uh, this reduces inequality. The daunting cost of child rearing becomes that much easier if we have a lower overall cost structure. Something I haven't mentioned so far is the efficiency dividend of removing all those taxes. Uh, the growth rate in the economy will increase with effective carbon taxation, though the growth will be in the more sustainable industries, which is important to recognise. We cannot keep growing at the level we are, and so much of that has to do with the level of debt, and that debt is driven by land price increases. So if we cut off uh, land price uh, inflation, which of course isn't measured, um, two-thirds of it isn't measured in our inflation measures, uh, then uh, we're going to uh, reduce the need for so much debt. Okay, well, the second unexpected outcome is uh, decentralisation. So if land in prime locations is going to incur a land tax liability that uh, can be quite significant, but it should be at comparable levels to what people face now with income taxes. Uh, but remember, we will not also have GST. We will not have company taxes. We will not have all those 125 taxes adding layer upon layer of taxation upon each other. So uh, people uh, living in Turak may well go, uh, well... Let's uh, take a tree change and move out to uh, uh, the the rural town that uh, our parents uh, grew up in, something like that. And that will help offset uh, the incredible urbanisation pressures the world has endured over recent decades, bringing uh, regeneration to some of those communities that have their infrastructure in place, um, have plenty of natural beauty, have good hospitals, uh, but there seems to, there is this constant brain drain of the youth leaving rural areas. Well, must be time that uh, people decided uh, if they've got the MBN out uh, the back of Bendigo, why not move there? <laughs> Essentially, in a massive highway system, you will get sprawl, congestion, and pollution. Every single trip has to be made by the car. You can go virtually any city in any state, any major city, and you are very, very pressed to come up with the public dollars to keep extending freeways, uh, extending utilities, to basically provide the infrastructure of sprawl. It's just too expensive. Point three is sprawl and congestion. You know we do the speculative vacancies report using abnormally low levels of water consumption as a proxy for vacant housing. We find uh, somewhere between 60 to 90,000 empty properties each year on the market. Unfortunately, this doesn't include many of the land banks on the suburban sprawl. 
But uh, for those speculative vacancies that uh, surround Triple R, there's often around 2,000 uh, uh, vacant homes surrounding Triple R and 3CR. Well, uh, that adds to supply, pushing down prices. Populations move closer to town to their workplaces as those prices come down. And alongside this move uh, of replacing all these bad taxes, land value tax can replace stamp duty. At the moment, uh, it can cost somewhere between twenty dollars to $35,000 to move house in terms of stamp duty. Recently, Uhuri found that 15% of stamp duty revenues were paid by those living in the affordable suburbs on the sprawl, while just 4% was paid for those in uh, the wealthier inner city ring suburbs of Melbourne, primarily because once they get into a good house, uh, they really don't want to move. So uh, this transition away from stamp duties will make it easier to move closer to work without the threat of this stamp duty uh, impost. So congestion will fall. And an added bonus will be uh, the effect this will have on marriage rates. A Swedish study found that divorce was much more likely for those travelling more than 45 minutes each way to work. Yes, we like bonus positives here. So many positives can occur when we treat the land properly. Everything relies on it and that's why we're so adamant about fixing this one core issue in order for so many other problems to whittle away. So an unexpected uh, uh, outcome is how wages increase and this has to do with one of the core tenets of Georgism and that is the law of rent. The idea that rent is determined by a rent-free alternative is what economists since David Ricardo have called the law of rent. This looks at how wage rates are set on the margin. Those living on marginal land and working for themselves have to make a decision. Do I want to work for the man or can I earn a reasonable wage working the land myself? At present, uh, small business people have to deal with... uh, all sorts of taxes, all sorts of tax paperwork, all sorts of bureaucracy. Let's strip that back. As people recognise they can work for themselves on cheap land, employers uh, in towns recognise they must at least match this wage to attract talent. Thus wages are not set in the central corridors of power, but by those starting their own business in remote areas. What will be the effect of climate change making it harder on marginal sites to survive as the goiter line, measuring marginal farmable land in South Australia, for example, sweeps down from the desert and through the northernmost regions of the Barossa Valley. Landowners in central locations in Adelaide will enjoy greater economic rents as more people move into the arable lands they already control. Should that be a valid source of profit, we ask? So the second point to this is that the key aspect for Georgia's is that if we do streamline the tax system and push down the price of land, more will be able to make a go of it on marginal land, perhaps reversing some of the goiter line pressure points as there will be less tax paperwork, delivering greater incentives for starting up small business. Wages will increase as this competition continues an unexpected outcome of higher land taxes. As we talk about these key tenants, it really is a battle between these three factors of production, land, labour and capital. And that's how the GDP pie is split up. Capital, 
uh, is blamed for a lot of things, but it's really the rentiers, those who own monopoly rents, who are claiming the land rents. And uh, this is increasing uh, more and more and crowding out both labor and capital. Small business is dying. You can't get a, a loan uh, as a small businessman these days, but if you're a property investor, you can get an interest-only loan and uh, flip a property, uh, paying barely anything back to the community. He's got emotional problems, man. You mean beyond pacifism? He's fragile. Very fragile. So point five is looking after ourselves. With lower land prices, less mortgage debt, lower taxation, cheaper consumer prices and more independence for both labour and capital, people will have more headroom to look after themselves. Finding meaningful work may well reduce the rate of depression, divorce and drinking, all reducing costs on the burgeoning health budget. Point two, taxing monopoly rents in the pharmaceutical industry will reduce the cost of drugs and thus the PBS saving billions. Let's open it up to competition. Point three, a resilient tax system that acts in a preventative manner in regards to boom-bust cycles will reduce the need for bailouts. Forget the first homeowners grants and other policy fraud elements like that. Uh, let's just keep a lid on, uh, on the speculative uh, incentives, reducing inequality, a key driver of poverty and related crime levels. Less policing will be necessary, reducing a key drain on government resources. Some say this will also reduce the need for the army, cutting more costs there. Now, why, you say? Well, if uh, all of these easy profits in land speculation are left on the table, some marauding guru is going to say, I want my share of that and perhaps uh, incite a, a war for oil. But if the public is getting a share of those oil rents and they're not uh, as privately available, then the drive for war will be lower. So the points about uh, sprawl will filter through onto uh, a lower government infrastructure costs as uh, we'll be building inwards, we'll be building upwards, uh, making sure all of the the empty blocks of land that we have are being well utilised rather than sprawling out further. That will uh, certainly uh, help mitigate climate change in terms of transportation costs, in terms of uh, loss of uh, uh, vegetation and old-growth forests. So they're all further spin-offs that I'm not including in my, my top eight here. And so all these savings and, and other unlisted ones see some Georgists believing we could shrink the size of government by some 20 to 30%. Perhaps some areas of the bureaucracy will need to actually be replenished after decades of neoliberal cutbacks. But the point stands that less policing, uh, less uh, health costs will be needed when uh, we can look after ourselves. And remember the, the old uh, health Olympics I used to talk about. I think it was Washington University analyzed the uh, UN Human Development uh, Index and found that those who have lower inequality levels have better health outcomes. So if we can all put uh, good food in our tummies, we're going to uh, be healthier rather than the sugar-based cheap diets that uh, many nations are falling towards.
So point six here on the three CRs, Renegade Economist, in terms of unexpected outcomes of a Georgia's economic system, is that we'll have more time. This is a huge one. How many people are working 50-hour-plus weeks? How many people are not working enough? Uh, it's so hard to find meaningful work. It's so hard to strike that right balance between a healthy work environment with a good boss. Well, with less debt, lower land prices, lower cost of goods, this infers we need to work less. It's crazy to think that uh, uh, pre the enclosures back in the 1300s, 1400s uh, that uh, the English used to work one day a week. That's all they needed to do is to work one day a week. In the French, it was one day a month. But as the land got uh, carved up and privatised, there was less of the commons to share amongst the community. More of it was concreted over, uh, over time so that uh, our independence of being able to live on the land being able to enjoy some fresh fish like we have been, thanks to our friends Ian and Kylan. We caught six fish uh, recently and it fed three families for uh, a good four days. So uh, there's all sorts of things that are possible when we look after nature's bounty. The current system is doing all it can to destroy it and force us to rely on the corporate structure. So the seventh unexpected outcome is community stability. As it ended, culture being sold to its highest bidder, undesirable neighborhoods being gentrified. You would be bitter too, if only you knew. Has it ended? Crossing racial lines and stealing lives, robbing my people blind, white people marginalizing, modern day colonizing, aestheticizing. Has it ended? The rich people running things, leaving us with nothing, Urban pioneers, they call themselves. But is their work for us or themselves? Has it ended? The same shit Kincaid wrote about. 12 minutes, 12 days, distorting our realities with your corrupt government ways. Do not put us on display. You romanticize our poverty. We are not your toys. And when it all comes down to it, this is our reality and your profit. Has it ended? If we reduce the property flipping, the land price inflation that's going on, the rate of change, the rate of gentrification through our uh, most popular suburbs will reduce. With more time, there'll be more artistic communities popping up that won't just be the, the Fitzroy Brunswick uh, realm. There'll be all sorts of uh, hotspots around cities that uh, are attractive and won't attract the, the speculative uh, uh, insider and the wannabes who want to move into those communities uh, accelerating the rate of change there. Time. Now, the eighth and possibly most important unexpected outcome to Georgism is that we can split the right wing. Yes, we can reawaken the genuine productive entrepreneurs into recognizing that they too are being held to ransom by these rentiers, these rent seekers who make money in their sleep buying and selling. That is where the easy money is made. And for those who've been in business for a long time, more and more of them are thinking this is just ludicrous. It's all a game of insiders. Uh, I can't get ahead. My commercial rents keep increasing. Uh, my insurance rates, 
keep going through the roof. My customers uh, are more and more stressed and, be, and being ruder. Uh, everything is fraying at the seams. And so much of it, if you ask me, is because of this increasing land price burden that is putting intolerable strains on communities. We are so lucky here in Australia we haven't had the economic devastation that you can see when you travel overseas. It's just uh, untold uh, what is happening to the social fabric of so many communities around the planet. So there we have the eight unexpected outcomes of Georgia's economics. There are so many more that I could list. The environment really should have been in that list, but we kind of expect that with a charge on natural resources, there will be less mining, there will be less pollution. Uh, those sort of spin-offs would certainly uh, benefit society and, again, reduce the health cost burden. So let's look after what we have of Australia's proud social democracy and do what we can to ensure a more effective and fairer tax system is put in place. My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks uh, for those who've been popping me emails. Uh, it's a big trip driving around this uh, beautiful wide brown land. I'm looking forward to being in Perth in a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks so much for your support here on the beloved 3CR Airwaves.